Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. So what direction is America going, and is that the right direction? I shared with you how Barbara Walter, who, not the journalist, but the writer, wrote a book called How Civil Wars Start, and or maybe How Civil Wars Happen. And in her book, she was pointing out that when governments, when nations have a government sector that is large enough to provide basically a a substantial social safety net for their people, think basically all your European countries, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, you don't have civil wars emerge. You don't have people, you know, you don't have civil strife. On the other hand, when governments have small uh, public sectors and very large private sectors, the, the, the people basically running the country are also your oligarchs, you do have uh, revolutions and revolts and whatnot. So uh, where should that point be? How, how much government is too much and how much is not enough? Let's uh, check in with our old friend Charles Sauer. He's libertarian economist and president of the Market Institute. He's the author of the book Profit Motive, What Drives the Things We Do marketinstitute.org, at Charles Sauer, S-A-U-E-R is his Twitter handle. Charles, welcome back. So in the United States, our government sector is, if I'm remembering right, and I'm probably not, you probably know these numbers right off the top of your head, but it's in the low 20s, isn't it? 22, 23% of our economy is government, whereas in Canada, it's, it's around 34, 35. In Denmark, it's almost 40 or a little over 40%. Am I remembering these numbers correctly? And what does this tell you? First off, I would agree with all of those numbers. And more than that, if we look at the academics that basically across the spectrum, most academics in the U.S. agree that we are currently at about the right size of government. Uh, If you look at people on the right, they generally think it should be around like, let's say, 18 to 16 percent. If you look at on the left, they go up a little bit higher, let's say 25. And then you, of course, have the extreme fringes um, as well. But um, I think that uh, Grover Norquist actually says what the right size of government should be best. And he says government should be small enough that we can fit it in a bathtub and drown it if necessary. And um, I think that why would you want to do that to your government, Charles? Well, because if we see like uh, in the classrooms right now, we see people at the Super Bowl unmasked. We see people at political events unmasked. We see when politicians visit classrooms, they don't wear masks. But my kids currently have to wear a mask in the classroom, and that's because governments dominate our society. We can't get away from a lot of these. Well, that's because of public health, Charles. That's I mean, we have we have public health. That has nothing to do with public health. They go back to the the George Washington administration. No, public health. All of the research around public health says that kids aren't a threat to each other. You might be able to fight that a teacher should wear a mask for public health, but you can't make the argument that kids should wear a mask for public health. The government, on the other hand, has made that argument. Well, no, you can't make it scientifically. I apologize. I didn't include that. On the other hand, the government has made that argument, even though they've decided for themselves they don't need to wear masks. And in general, we don't need to wear masks out in public. So we need to shrink our government because they're being too protective of our children. Is that what I'm hearing you say? 
that that's one example. If you want to bring up other examples, uh, we can point sure. to areas like railroads where regulation has restricted growth, restricted um, innovation, and where we could actually get a better service if we removed government out of their way. Uh, it happened in railroads. And this was the left that actually started moving these back. Jimmy Carter rolled back regulations on air and made a better service. Jimmy Carter rolled back regulations Perhaps. on rail and we got a better service. Yeah, so, it, it, it may be, is too I, big. but, but the, you know, we can get super granular if you want. And I'll, I'll give you examples on my side, but, but I, I, I think that it would serve us and our audience better if uh, the people listening, if we kept this on a kind of a macro scale. I mean, it looks to me like what's happening in the United States. And I, this is the, I guess, the, the gist of my question for you. It looks to me like what's happening in the United States is we went from small government USA up until basically 1933. And government was not providing much of a social safety net to anybody anywhere. We had the Great Crash, the Republican Great Depression. Then you had the New Deal. FDR came in with Keynesian economics and said, no, if we build a social safety net, that gives not only safety to fa American families, to American workers, but it also will it reinvigorate our economy. It'll get us out of the depression. And that ideology, that, that notion of the role of government stood until 1981 when Ronald Reagan was elected. Reagan comes in and says, oh, no, government is too big. We have to cut it. We have to cut taxes to the billionaires. We have to raise taxes on working class people. He did that 11 times, by the way, including raising and putting a tax, income tax on Social Security. And uh, so, so, you know, for 40 years now, we have been in this neoliberal world rather than a Keynesian world. And it's looking to me, I mean, Joe Biden has come in and basically said, we're done with neoliberalism. We're going to go back to Keynesianism. And uh, it's, it looks to me like that's the new direction for America. And frankly, I think it's a good direction for America. So what say you? Well, I think that, uh, number one, I don't quote him often, but when I do, it's fun. You got to quote LL Cool J on this and say, don't call it a comeback, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think that we've lost some of what FDR was advocating for. Social Security still around. Agricultural subsidies are still around. They're supported by both parties. Um, those things are here to stay. Um, on the other hand, part of your story's off, too, as I just pointed to, it wasn't Reagan that was kind of the onset of this. You had the deregulation started under uh, Jimmy Carter because the, the government was going in the wrong direction. The economy was going in the wrong direction. And even he saw it. If you look at his 1978 State of the Union address, he talks about the fact that government can't do it all. And oh, the fact I, I is, agree is with you, Charles. Everybody Jimmy Carter, understood it. Yeah, Jimmy Carter deregulated a bunch of things in the last two years of his administration. That was, I mean, you know, 78 was the year that Maggie Thatcher took over England. Got a, you know, her, her party took the, took the parliament. And, and she was the grand champion of neoliberalism. And Jimmy Carter bought into some of that stuff. But Reagan turned it into, you know, rather than just taking a couple of industries like trucking and, and airlines and deregulating them. And by the way, I'm hearing from truckers on this program constantly who are saying the deregulation of the trucking industry was death to us. This was this destroyed our industry. It turned it into an oligarchy, basically. And, and, I, and I hear from commercial pilots and, and people who work for the airlines saying, you know, they gutted our unions. Um, they, they stripped competition out of air. Air travel is more expensive now in the United States than it is in any other developed country, um, in large part because basically we have monopolies as a consequence of Carter's having deregulated those things. So we should go back to well, regulating them. Well, a, a few minutes ago, you wouldn't let us get granular. And now we're talking about independent uh, stories from people. Well, those uh, the were fact my is, stories. is that if you look, if you look <laughs> at the, well, I told you my story and that's I'm, what was granular I, about that. If you look at the overall industries, those stories don't match up with the economics that are going on in the industry. But I wanted to get that out of the way because in the end, I agree with your idea of where we're going in politics. If you look at the Heritage Foundation, they recently published a 30-page paper calling uh, the going against the totalitarianism of big tech. They are taking this populist message and turning from what was a conservative think tank over into populism, which goes with the story that you're telling of where we're going as a country. Um, I'm personally opposed to where they're going. I support what they did just two years ago in a paper. But on the other hand, you know, they're going with the times. They're uh, uh, showing that we have this return to FDRism. 
Um, and I personally think that that's a bad thing. I think that people from 1980 and all the industries that have changed since then would agree with me. If it can be demonstrated that there is a correlation between the amount of time kids spend watching screens, you know, on social media, um, and the frequency with which they try to commit suicide or have other mental health crises, uh, and it can be demonstrated that those social media companies know that's going on, and it's actually part of their business plan because they're just constantly trying to push teens to 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 freak out, right? Uh, just like they, just like they do with adults, um, it, because it, it increases engagement and thus increases their profits. You're saying that you think that companies should just be allowed to do that to our teenagers. Well, I believe that I would support a company that came out with an opposite business plan, and I believe that you should too. That's free market economics. But on the other hand, if you supported a proposal that just went after that small segment of big tech, which I haven't seen statistics to back that up, but I'll assume that you're right and you're giving straight statistics on that. I if am. you had a policy that just supported that, that might be supportable. But on the other hand, what we're Wait seeing- Wait a minute, we found a regulation that Charles might like? Uh, I, as soon as you write it down, the odds of me supporting it are pretty low, and you okay. know that. But on the other hand, that would make a lot more sense than saying that a company can't buy any other comp that a large company like Facebook can't buy any other company, because that doesn't just stop Facebook. That locks in Facebook at its size and then hurts all of well, the people lock them that at are their trying size. to come up if, and if take Facebook. If Facebook had never bought Instagram, Instagram would have been a, a good competitor for them. I mean, the, the Facebook has bought dozens of companies that were potential co competitors. That seems to me like a lousy business model. And it's not just Facebook, obviously. Facebook would have never met their market cap that they were at of what, 900 billion before their recent um, turn down of 26%. They wouldn't well, they have, might not have gotten as rich, cap. So but they also might not have done as much damage. Well, look, that's not the, uh, that is untrue and unprovable. Um, they can do damage at any size. Anybody can do damage at any size, right? Look at, look at what some of the websites on the right do and the message that they push. So it doesn't matter what size you're at. You can push a bad message. You can have a big, a bad business model. The fact is, is that in all likelihood, let me, let me ask you a quick Facebook, question, Rich, uh, Amazon, Charles. Google forget, has for, a great Forgive the interruption. Model. We have 26 seconds. If I if I have a, a building and and I, you know and I welcome people into my space and then they commit crimes in front of me, I can be prosecuted for allowing that to happen. Why, if if Facebook has a space and they invite people in and those people commit crimes, why is it right that Facebook cannot be prosecuted? Well, that's the same way of uh, you patrolling. Look, I've gotten threats in your comment sections on your videos before, right? And the fact is, is you haven't deleted those. So really? are, are well, you in, in trouble for that? I don't think so. I don't think it's your well, fault. Well, that's, that's section 230. But Charles, let me just tell you, if you get a threat from anybody in my comment section, please tell me. I, I will delete them. All right. But, you know. <laughs> it's, I appreciate that. I okay. like you. Yeah, I like saying, you too, it's, Charles. It's a problem all over. Charles, I got to run. But thank you very much for being with us today. Charles Sauer, um, uh, marketinstitute.org. Charles Sauer on Twitter. Hang on just a second. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Charles Sauer, A-S-A-U-E-R. Charles, thank you again. Good talking thank to you. Thank you. Okay. We'll be right back with more of the news of the day and your calls after this. Brian in Los Angeles. Hey, Brian, what's on your mind today? Respond real quickly to that libertarian you just had on. Yeah, Charles, Charles was his name. Yeah, you know he ended he ended his his, uh, his speech there by by suggesting that you treat your website like a land and you Tom be the government that regulates everything inside of it to protect Charles's life and health. Right. But all these libertarians they always want they say that they want regulations to protect themselves. But when it comes to the economy or democracy, leave it to the free market. So why does well, Charles want the free market to protect his own life? It wasn't quite that crass, Brian. He and Charles has been on a number of times, and, and you know if he's gotten threats, he hasn't. This is the first time I've heard of it. Um, you know we try no, to but, we try to clean that stuff no, up. I get but. that. No, I get that nobody should be threatening him. But the point is, he's he's asking you to be oh, the government. I don't think he was. I, I, I thought he was saying in the context of, hey, you know, I've I've I get threatened and I'm okay with that. You know, I'm a big boy. I I, I didn't think he was asking for me to take them down. I offered to. He, I know he thanked you for it. 
Yeah. He wants you to, he's thanking you to be regulated. If he was a true libertarian, he'd say, no, don't regulate anything. Let the free market take care of it. But he was more yeah. than happy to take your offer to regulate to protect himself. Yeah. But I, they all, they don't want any regulation for the, the greater common product, you know, good. Yeah. I get it. So it's always about it. themselves. Okay. Brian, thank you very much. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com Hartman. That's netsuite.com Hartman. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So why are so many Republicans vulnerable to Fox News lies? I mean, it's just, this is the, like crazy stuff. Marsha Blackburn is a senator, United States senator, and she's uh, from Tennessee. And she is just going crazy because there is a program in the, we're talking the whole federal budget, right? You know, trillions of dollars. There's this little tiny $30 million program. I mean, 30 million is like really little tiny. Little tiny $30 million program, which seeks, which gives grants to states and to organizations in states to reduce the number of people dying from overdoses and HIV and, hepat and, hepat and hepatitis. And the way that this program is doing it is pretty multifaceted actually for, for $30 million, it's pretty amazing. Um, they are passing out naloxone, I think is, the, is how it's pronounced. It's this uh, drug that reverses overdoses. Uh, just in the last year, some seven or 8,000 people, uh, lives have been saved by people getting naloxone real quickly. Uh, they are passing out fresh needles to junkies so that they're not sharing their needles with each other and thus reduce the number of HIV and, and hepatitis infections. Now you could say, well, junkies, uh, you know, who cares about junkies? They should just get HIV and die, right? Uh, you know, this sounds glib. I mean, it's kind of the Republican position. But the fact of the matter is that junkies don't live in bubbles. They have sex with other people. They interact with other people. They spread diseases to other people as well. And so if we can prevent junkies from getting sick, then we're preventing society from getting sick. And the same thing, not just with junkie, and you know, we got a big problem with junkies in the country because of you know the Sackler family and others who have been and Johnson and Johnson, you know, promoting op opioids for years and years. But then also there is a small problem; it's a kind of a leftover problem of crack, and people are using they use smoke crack in a crack pipe, and people are using uh, crack pipes that are they're made out of glass because you have to do that if because it gets so hot, and the glass crack pipes get cracked and broken around where you put it in your mouth and it's cutting people's lips and spreading HIV and, and hepatitis from person to person using crack pipes. And so uh, what this program does, it's giving needles to junkies and it's giving rubber, the little rubber uh, uh, mouthpiece for the glass crack, crack pipes so that people aren't cutting their lips anymore. Um, you would think that any rational person would get that this is to protect all of us. But Marsha Blackburn has gone hysterical, saying that free crack pipes are being given out to Americans, $30 million worth, which is not true. 
In fact, the Washington Post did a piece, and the headline in the Washington Post is, no, the federal government isn't spending $30 million on crack pipes. But Marsha Blackburn is absolutely convinced that they are, and holy cow, all because of this moral panic that started over on the right-wing media. Why are Republicans so vulnerable to this? I think it's because they have nothing else to offer. The GOP is not coming to Americans and saying, you know, we're going to expand Medicare and we're going to make, we're going to end medical debt in America. They're not saying that. The GOP is not coming to Americans and saying, we're going to end student debt in America. And so that all these people, these 45 million people with student debt can now get on with their lives. They can start a family. They can buy a home. They can start a business. They can take some chances. The Republican Party isn't saying that. The Republican Party is not saying, hey, we're, you know, we're going to clean up the environment so that, you know, kids are not, uh, you know, b b having neurological damage from pesticides and poisons in our environment. We're going to get the lead out of the water. The Republicans aren't saying that. They're not saying we're going to slow down or stop global warming. They're not saying that. They're not saying we're going to fund, fully fund our schools and, and make America work. They're not saying that. They're not saying anything positive. What they are saying is we want to stop people from voting and we're going to get hysterical about teaching black history in our schools and, and doing harm mitigation for people who are drug abusers because that you know, reduces the harm to the rest of society. They are, you know, all they have to run on basically is outrage. It's all they got left. And so over on the GOP and over on Fox News and, and, and over all, all over your right-wing media, every single day, it's like, what is the outrage of the day? I got my newsletter here, the writing, you know, an email. Here's the, the head. I'll just give you the headlines real quickly, just to make my point. These are from right-wing websites, PJ Media. Tyranny arrives in Canada. Oh, really? Uh, the Federalist. Hillary's 2016 coup attempt is disqualifying. Are you starting to notice a theme here? It's all about, eh, we're white, we're snowflakes. Gateway pundit, Trump was a victim of foreign and domestic espionage. No, he wasn't. National Review, germs, jaw-dropping revelation. Oh, yes, oh, we're all outraged. Newsbusters, CNN and MSNBC primetime ignore bombshell Durham report. Well, that's because it wasn't a report. It was a court filing, and it wasn't a bombshell, and there was no there there. Okay, uh, American Greatness, January 6th pipe bombs look like another FBI hoax. Really? It's not an FBI hoax, by the way, just FYI. Blue State Conservative, majority of Minnesota COVID cases are now among the vaccinated. Well, maybe that's because the majority of people are vaccinated and there are breakthrough infections, of course. NDQ report picks that up. Triple vaccinated deaths skyrocket 495% in January. Yes, we went from three people who died to 12 people who died. I mean, I don't know the actual numbers, but I guarantee you it's something like that. Uh, Daily Caller, the big midterm bait and switch is coming from the Dems. What is the bait and switch, you wonder? Democrats are going to roll back all the COVID restrictions and declare victory over the virus just in time for the midterms. Oh my God! So you want the Democrats to keep those mask mandates in place. Newsmax, to save the Democratic Party, the pandemic is suddenly over. These are not, this is not how you govern a country. This is not how you make things work. This is not how you make a country better. This is not how you improve people's lives. And then of course, just uh, here, uh, this is from Big League Politics on the right-wing site. BLM's America, serial felon charged with rape and murder of autistic woman. A black guy killed somebody. Raped and, uh, raped and murdered an autistic woman. But he's a black guy, so it's got to be BLM that's responsible for this, right? It's like, come on. Paul in Woodinville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's up? Well, I can just say that uh, regulation and free market uh, are not mutually exclusive. In fact, they go exactly hand in hand. And as for Charles, he, he, would, he does not want to go back to FDRism. He likes the last 40 years better, but I guess he doesn't like 8.8% uh, annual growth across the, the years of FDR, and that the middle class grew faster and more robustly than any time before or since right. as compared with the Reagan era and Reagan, uh, Reaganomics that we've had in the last 40 years where we have um, wages have gone down. Uh, relatively speaking, the wealth gap is huge. 
the national uh, na- uh, economic growth has gone down from 8.8 percent over the over the FDR years to uh, over the Reagan years was 3.8 percent, and now he's struggled to get three. Mm-hmm. Okay, Trump had one quarter of his 16 percent three percent growth. All all the rest were under three, and our national debt has increased from 800 billion dollars when Ronald Reagan took office to what is it approaching 30 trillion. So if that's what he thinks deregulation does, okay. But here's the problem with deregulation. Actually, deregulation is not good for the market because what it does is just allows big companies to run over little companies and make a lot of money. And actually what regulation does is improve uh, the free market by forcing people or having people create better products. And I'll tell you where the idea comes from. I have a friend who's an R&D chemist. I've known him for almost 40 years. He was my chemistry professor at Michigan State. And he says that regulations actually give us directions as to how to develop products. When there's regulations, it tells us what this product has to do. And if there's only a few things, that's all scientists do. Oh, it only has to grow more corn? Okay, who cares how to get rid of it or what it pollutes? We don't care. But when there are lots of regulations on it, for instance, the space program has led to more great developments of products than anything else. The regulations required for a space capsule are pretty strict. For instance, Velcro, developed not by 3M, but by some old lady who was a seamstress who had to solve the problem of how do you keep the astronauts from floating away. You put it on the bottom of their boots and they stick to the floor. It couldn't be magnetic. Lots of things were developed like that because of heavy restrictions and regulations actually lead to innovations. It's not relieving regulations that leads to innovations. It's having regulations that leads to innovations. I agree. And I think the easiest way to explain it is to say that you know, regulations define the rules of the game you're playing, and business is just another exactly. game. And would you want to deregulate football? Would you want to say, you know, whichever team puts in the most money can tear the face mask off and, <laughs> off other players? <laughs> you know, they, they've got different rules that now. The other day, didn't <laughs> yeah, speaking of uh, the, the Super Bowl. And that, uh, there was yeah. no flag on that play, which was amazing. But <laughs> well, that's because it's deregulated, see? <laughs> <laughs> could be, could be. Paul, thank you. Well said. Gene in Andover, Minnesota. Hey, Gene, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I just wanted to weigh in on Hillary. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the Durham um, investigation. Yes. And uh, specifically, some of the uh, minority, of course, of Republicans now are saying they want to move on beyond 2020. And, you know, they never want to mention that Mueller found 10 instances of obstruction of justice when he investigated Trump and and uh, actually charged uh Roger Stone, and he was quickly uh, con- or found guilty of uh, lying to Congress five times, witness tampering, and obstructive- obstruction of proceedings. So, I mean, let's let's get real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it. And and uh, well, you know, Durham is just uh, my my sense of it is that Durham is just basically window dressing. But, uh, you know, or an attempt by Trump, you know, the, the whole Durham investigation was an attempt by Trump to pretend that what he was doing, he wasn't doing. But I get it. Gene, yeah. thank you. Roy in Ontario, Canada. Hey, Roy, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, good to speak with you. I just wanted to make a comment about the growing militia movement here in Canada. Mm-hmm. And I do agree with you that it is a growing movement. However, in my opinion, it's still relatively contained to elements of the far right. And in my opinion, one of the reasons for that is because of our robust gun control laws. You know, mm. firearms owners in this country are some of the most closely monitored members of our society and therefore have some of the lowest crime rates. Right. right? They're, but um, they're, they're the most responsible, or not necessarily the most, but they're, in order to be a gun owner in Canada, you have to demonstrate that you're a responsible citizen. Exactly. And at any point, if you're convicted of something like a, uh, a violent crime or, or, well, a whole yeah. list of crimes, the government can take away your, your firearms license in a second, and which means then you need to forfeit any firearm you own to the government. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the picture. If it's ma- I'm assuming it's making its way through the Canadian newspapers, Roy. But there was a picture that I saw on, I forget which news site, of just dozens and dozens and dozens of weapons, including semi-automatic weapons, assault rifles and things that were taken from truckers in Canada. That's right, yeah, in Coots, uh, Coots Alberta. Yeah, and uh, there's some pretty heavily armed people. But, you know, to, to my point that I think that when you see militias emerge, it's a sign of a society in distress. 
And COVID has stressed all of our societies. It's, it's stressed Canada just like it's stressed America, although it's, you know, it hasn't been as heavily politicized in Canada as here. But in Canada, you all have basically you know, free to low cost health care. Right. You're never going to you're never going to go bankrupt because somebody in your family got sick. That is not true in the United States. You have very low cost education. You can you can get into a college in Canada and, and put yourself through college. I, I realize you have some fancy, expensive colleges, but you can typically put yourself through college with a summer job or a part time gig. And, uh, you know, and poverty is not as deep as in the United States. You've got a much more robust social safety net. And so you don't have these people going, I've been screwed and, I, you know, and I'm angry about this. And then somebody else saying to them, well, that's because of those Hispanic people. That's because of those black people. That's because of those liberals. That's because of those Democrats. You know, quack, quack, quack. That then produces that militia kind of reaction. Uh, do, do you, as a Canadian, would you say that that analysis is uh, reasonable? Oh, absolutely. Like, for example, most of the people I work with um, are more, I'd, I'd call them conservative-leaning, but they're, they, like, how do I put this? They haven't drank the Kool-Aid. You yeah. know, they're still rooted in reality. I can have a conversation with them. I can get along with them. Yeah. Uh, they're, we don't have that kind of Fox News element in this country, and I thank God for that. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Roy, thanks a lot for the call. It's, it's great to hear from a Canadian, and, and thanks for listening sure. to SiriusXM. John in Center Ossipi, New Hampshire. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? How you doing? How you doing? I just have a couple, couple quick comments. For me, the Durham thing is a diversion against the uh, what Trump was, you know, obviously losing his his accountants. Yeah. You know, ten years of accountants. Except it started, you know, two years ago. Yeah, exactly. That's like a diversion method. I'm sorry, just the way that came up. Yeah. Just didn't sit right. And then the other, thing, just with the other thing I wanted to bring up, Tom. Now that Florida is now doing the same thing Texas is doing with gerrymandering, yeah. you know, you get DeSantis going nuts if he's doing the maps himself. I mean... And on top of that, you got Georgia now. Maybe the Georgia passes a law making it illegal for Stacey Abrams to raise money for the next two months. I know. I know. It's, it's so, like insane. What are Democrats going to do? I mean, I, I brought this up last summer. I was, I was scared then. We're going to have to turn out in absolutely massive numbers and hope that a lot of this voter suppression is going to hurt Republican voters as much as it hurts Democratic voters. Uh, you know, I, I hope so. You know, it'll be different. I mean, mostly the Democratic voters are people in cities. The Republican voters who will probably be hurt most are elderly people or, you know, senior citizens and, and rural ones. But um, we'll see how it shakes out. John, thank you for the call. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And welcome back. So let me, I got to tell you about, we need to stand up for democracy now, and we need to work together to heal our nation from the damage done by these foreign and domestic autocrats and hustlers. I mean, that's the bottom line, right? And we've got to help wake up our, our fellow Americans who have been duped by this stuff via the pathway of vaccines or via the pathway of Donald Trump or whatever it may be. But this, this uh, trucker thing, Grid.News is, uh, is a news website, a fascinating news website, uh, uh, relatively transparent too. Um, and they have done some amazing reporting on this. 
Um, what they found is that this whole thing came out of a bunch of Facebook groups that were all started from the account of one mom in Missouri. And this one mom in Missouri lost control of her Facebook account in October of last year. It got, it got hacked and hijacked. And since then, her daughter has created a new Facebook account for her that says, my old account got hacked. Well, her old hacked account, we don't know who hacked this. We don't even know what country the people who hacked it are in. I mean, Facebook knows, and they could probably tell us all, but they're not saying. So here's this hacked Facebook group of, uh, or Facebook page for an actual verified real-life American citizen, a Midwestern mom. And that one Facebook group created, let me get this right, um, this is all before, between just in three days, January 26, 27, and 28, they created a whole series of Facebook groups using mom's account, right? Convoy to Ottawa 2022 is one of the groups. Convoy to Freedom 2022, another group. Freedom Convoy, Ottawa 2022 for Canada, another group. Freedom Convoy 2022 for another group. And 2022 official Freedom Convoy to Ottawa. All of these groups, a total of 340,000 members. Thousands, over 7,500 posts. Now, this was just, you know, quite literally. I mean, January 26th, that was what? A couple of weeks ago? Yeah, this is just in a couple of weeks. They, they just exploded this thing. And uh, Facebook has now taken these down, and so they've all moved over to Telegram, which is, you know, of course, a platform owned out of the United Arab Emirates that will allow this kind of thing. Um, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is saying, uh, you know, this is just phony baloney. I mean, you know, this. 80% of the Canadian public is vaccinated right now. 90% of Canadian truckers are vaccinated. This is not a big issue in Canada. But these guys are trying to coordinate with the Conservative Party in Canada. And this is where it gets really interesting. The Conservative Party leader last week was kicked out of the party. That their Conservative Party is like our Republican Party. Was kicked out of the party and replaced by an interim leader who was who is photographed wearing a Make America Great hat, a MAGA hat. So you've got a MAGA guy now running the Conservative Party in Canada. And, uh, you know, as a, as a result, several Conservative Party members are breaking with the party. I mean, this is, this is all, you know, Jacob Rems is a historian of the U.S. and Canada. He works at New York University. He says, uh, for the Americans, it's totally irrelevant. They don't care who the leader of the Conservative Party is, Canada is. They just like the idea of a bunch of white truckers being in the national, in a national capital screwing stuff up. Uh, his language was slightly more obscene, but I'm not going to beat myself again. Um, <laughs> so uh, they, they raised millions on GoFundMe. Uh, they've got Glenn Beck, Ben Shapiro, Mike Huckabee out there hustling, you know, telling people, go to GoFundMe and give money to these so-called Canadian truckers. Uh, they are not all Canadians. And the ones who are, are unaffiliated with the union. The Canadian Trucking Union has come out against this protest. They've said, no, this is, this is, this is phony baloney stuff. And it, you know, recently they've been defecating on lawns, desecrating monuments, urinating on war, material, war memorials, waving flags with swastikas and the Confederate battle flag. Does this sound to you like Canadians? I mean, this, this is, uh, well, the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, he says, this is a fringe minority engaging in disinformation and misinformation online. These are conspiracy theorists about microchips and God knows what else that go with the tinfoil hats. And now it's spreading. Now it's, they're, they're going to the border crossings in Coutts, Alberta, and the Ambassador Bridge between Windsor and Detroit. It's amazing. And this is not a grassroots uprising any more than the Tea Party back, you know, during the Obama administration was. This is being pushed from outside. Malcolm in Bluebell, Pennsylvania. Hey, Malcolm, what's on your mind today? Yes, Tom, once again, and, and this is, uh, I'm a truck driver. I'm on the road right now, I-95 South, rolling through New Jersey. And my comment regards the situation in Canada, and at this point, I feel like you have to follow the money because it, it's really simple like driving across country over the road there's plenty of walmart parking lots 
that have put up um, barriers that prevent trucks from even pulling into the lots. They look like freeway overpass signs. The only difference is they hang down about 11 feet, preventing your trailers from coming in because truck drivers tend to leave piss bottles in their trash in parking lots. So that was their alternative to banning them. And so at this point, just privilege that has allowed this to, to continue to the point that it is right now. I don't represent myself as anybody who's intimately familiar with Canadian politics. Uh, you know, I've, I've, when Louise and I lived in Michigan and, and particularly in Detroit, and when we lived in Vermont, we got Canadian television on our local, you know, cable systems. Um, so I have probably a, a much greater familiarity with Canadian politics than the average American. But I'm still no, no expert on this at all. Have you heard anything from your trucker colleagues about this? I pretty much operate in a, a bubble. My circle is about so small that I drive around talking to myself because a lot of people <laughs> are toxic and whatnot. So I don't really open myself up to too much because at this city, one plus one no longer equals two. And yeah. people will have a long drawn out story as to why it's four, whether it's Bill Gates that made one plus one two. So I, you know, I refrain from really talking to other drivers. I just know that from my experience over the road, there's companies that their sole job is to recover trucks because the turnover for truck driving is about as high as an Amazon worker. Really? And so you have drivers every day that will abandon their trucks and companies, um, as well as drivers who die in their trucks, they'll die in the sleeper at a gas station, heart attack. Like John, uh, like the dad from Full House, when they discovered he was tucked in his bed a couple weeks ago. Right famous actor yeah and so drivers die in trucks and there's companies that their sole business is to go out and recover trucks they'll pull up at gas stations get the dead body out drive the truck back to the terminal and typically the company will just put a student driver in it and leave it up to that student driver to clean the truck out it's on them wow wow so and they you if they don't have enough drivers they'll fly you state to state to recover trucks but oftentimes every single day drivers whether they're homesick they miss their wife whatever they will abandon their trucks and leave it up to the company to come and retrieve that truck because they've had enough which is a real a real sad statement of the state of the state of affairs huh? i remember back in the right. 70s i i knew a couple who were long-haul truckers and they just loved it i mean they loved the but they owned right. their own rig it was a business they were making like a hundred thousand a year in the 70s it was big money and that and that was back when you had unions and it was regulated. But yeah. now you have guys driving for two cents per mile. Oh, so man. once they see their paycheck, they, they're over it. Yeah, I get so it. Have a good day, Tom. Malcolm, thank you. You too. And thanks thanks a lot for the call. Lou in Pueblo, Colorado. Hey, Lou, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. I was uh, just going to relate. My wife and I were in Washington, D.C. for the filming of a uh, big tea party thing. It was interesting. We were coming across the National Mall and all of a sudden this van pulls up in a, a sedan and like a director and a cameraman get out and a dozen actors and they set up a table and they, they had this table with piles of signs and piles of clothing and they went we watched them talk to these dozen actors. They would you know, put on a shirt, grab a sign, the cameraman laid down shooting at the sky, they'd walk by him, you know, and then the next one, then they'd change, new shirt, new sign. Really? This <laughs> was during the Obama yeah. presidency? This was an anti-Obamacare uh, rally, one of the Tea Party rallies? Yes, it was. It was uh, springtime in D.C., and there were probably a dozen of them went on for several minutes. Now, that night at the hotel, they showed a big... Tea Party rally at the National Mall, which there wasn't one, and they showed they showed these people with the signs, and they cut away to that anti-war uh, par- uh, march. It was like a half a million, mm-hmm. but it was in the middle of winter. You'd see cloudy skies and bare trees, and then you see these people with leaves on trees behind them in a blue sky. It was totally fake. Wow! Wow! We, we got to see it filmed. Yeah! Yeah! I, you know, this, it, it was so obvious at the time when we discovered that, the, you know, these buses, painted buses with Tea Party stuff on them, you know, th- that's a $350,000 rental, right, to, 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 to take a bus for a week and, and repaint the outside of it. It's very expensive. 
And and uh, it's like, okay, where's the money coming from? Because these these are like retirees, you know. These these are Americans on Medicare, and 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 they and they're carrying signs that say, "Get your government hands off my Medicare." It's like, what, Lou? I got to run, but thank you. Thanks for the heads up on that, Dana in uh, Wake Forest, North Carolina. Hey, Dana, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, uh, I am calling because I was a conspiracy theorist during the Bush administration, and. Basically, I mean, somebody had said to me that 9-11 was an inside job, mm. and I was appalled that they would say such a thing. So they said, well, I challenge you to a debate. Well, as I started researching and researching, I started to believe that 9-11 was an inside job. Yeah, you but went down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Right. Well, how the rabbit hole happened is, is you can go to these websites, but there are links to other websites. And pretty soon you're believing in chemtrails and fluoride in the water and i and i lost friends because i went basically bat crap um and but i was able to pull myself out of it how but that's what happens you find one thing that you believe in but all of these websites that you surf to they have links to these other websites and pretty soon there are all kinds of things that you've got yourself believing that you'd never thought of before so even though i'm a lefty i've always been a liberal I can kind of identify with these people who believe some of this crazy stuff. On next door, somebody said the flights that are coming in and out of Raleigh, North Carolina, they're coming in overnight because Biden is bringing in uh, illegals <laughs> and he's bringing them in all night long. <laughs> and I said, where, where are you learning this stuff? Yeah. And they're getting it off of websites. Right. Yeah, and any website can say anything, and they can just make stuff up. And you know, uh, no, that's not a cargo plane. That's that's filled with. Yeah, I get it, Dana. I'm I'm just yeah. real curious, real real quickly here. We're gonna hit a break in a second, but how did you pull yourself out of this? I mean, did did somebody intervene, or did did you just kind of gradually wake up to to uh, how how uh, insane it, it it was getting? Well, it did get insane with me, and I got to the point where I just had to disengage. Mm-hmm. That's how I got myself out of it. And yeah. I am pro-vax, I'm pro-mask, and now I'm looking at it from this point of view. Right. And, yeah. Now you're so, awake. <laughs> now you see how it works. Yeah, yeah and, and that's my yeah. point. I, I, you know, I keep making this point on this program that I think that, you know, yes, there are some just evil scum right-wing racists out there who are trying to do terrible things, Nazis. But a lot of these people, including a lot of the people on January 6th, consider themselves good average Americans who got sucked into basically a cult. Deanna, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. And uh, welcome back, uh, Ed in Chicago. Hey, Ed, what's up? Yeah, hey, Tom. You were asking what we we can do, and I've talked about this with you before. And it's not a, a short-term fix, but I just think it becomes more and more imperative as all this craziness goes on to to follow the template that Finland has given us and start teaching internet literacy at every grade level in our school system. Amen. Oh, until we start agreeing on facts. I don't see this changing ever. I completely and, uh, agree. I completely agree. And and Finland is a great example. In their public schools, they are not only teaching civics, you know, the history of Finland and their constitution and how this all works and what democracy is, quack, 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 but they're also teaching media literacy specifically with regard to the Internet. And, uh, you know, if, if Facebook isn't going to regulate themselves, if social media, well, it's not just Facebook, if social media companies across the board are not going to regulate themselves and we're going to have social media companies like Telegram that are actually run by foreign kingdoms, not even democracies, then we have to wake people up to this and we have to teach them how to respond to it. Ed, 
spot on. Thank you. Katie in Watsonville, California. Hey, Katie, what's up? Hey, Tom. I found something interesting. I went curiosity mind, had to go down the rabbit hole, convoytraders.ca, and I tried to copy and paste it to my Canadian friend, and Facebook told me it was against the standards. Really? I send it to her through Facebook. Yeah, I don't know why. Maybe it was a glitch. I don't know, oh, but I that thought strange? that was interesting enough to call you. Yeah. But that's fascinating. It was like your post goes against standards, and it wasn't sent. I was like, oh, okay. Wow. Isn't it a fascinating website, though, convoytraders.ca? Yeah. It, yeah, I mean they're they're and they're getting results. I mean you've got these uh, trucking companies now are starting to yell and scream about, hey, wait a minute, this isn't us. The union has come out and disowned these guys. Several companies have. People are going to lose well, their jobs. Go ahead. Once any movement gets traction on social media, whether good or bad, it's it's you know grows yeah. exponentially. Yeah, it absolutely does. And and this is you know again why to the previous caller why we really should. Um, seriously think about uh, at the very least I think regulating social media. Katie, thanks for sharing that. That's that's pretty shocking. Thank you very much. Dave in Chicago. Hey Dave, what's up? Hey Tom, I had a thought for you. Mm-hmm. My experience over the years is a lot of drivers and a lot of blue collar people that are caught up in the, the craziness. The mindset of these people is you would, you would actually be scared. Yeah. You would be very afraid if you listened to them. I remember when Obama was running, I ran into a couple of guys from Alabama at a stop here outside of Chicago, and they were telling me that Obama was going to be assassinated, that they're going to kill him, and, you know, uh, you just wouldn't believe what they think and how they think, and I, I really have to tell you, I don't think there's much hope for changing the mindset of people like that. Well, the ones who are motivated by racial animus and, and white supremacy and, you know, the great replacement theory fears, the ones who follow Tucker Carlson and other white right-wing racists, you know, just open racists, open white supremacists, you're probably right. But I, I think that there are a lot of people who have been duped into this, too, Dave. I think there's a certain mindset. I won't use stronger language, even though I feel it. Mm-hmm. Um they're just bent towards it, and I don't, I don't know, man. I, it's, yeah. I don't know. It's a tough time for our country. Dave, thanks for the call, and thanks for sharing your, your expertise with us. I appreciate it, and keep it up. We'll be back. It's, it's quite the day here. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Now, i got a crazy alert for you here. This is uh, uh, this wackadoodle pastor. He calls himself a pastor. I call him a grifter of a, a church in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. He just went nuts. I mean, the, the, the video is out there. It's floating all over. I got it off Raw Story. It's titled, uh, Trump-loving pastor threatens to expose six witches. This is what he said. These are, I'm quoting him. You got first, we've got first and last names of six witches that are in our church. And you know what's strange? Three of you are in this room right now. Three of you are in this room right now. You better look at my eyeballs. We ain't afraid of you, you stinking witch, you devil-worshipping Satanist witch. We got your first name, we got your last name, we even got an address for one of you. Apparently, somebody showed up in his church he didn't want there, and they were female. He says, you so much as cough wrong, and I'll expose you in front of everybody in this tent, you stinking witch. Really? We're doing the Salem witch trials again? This, this guy, this uh, phony baloney pastor, by the way, uh, is the same guy who uh, uh, banned people from wearing masks in his church and held a book burning for Harry Potter novels. Right. Right. It doesn't get weirder than that. It just doesn't get weirder than that. Stick around. This is the Tom Hartman Program. For the Tom Hartman Book Club today, it's Waking the Witch, Reflections on Women, Magic, and Power by Pam Grossman. This is from the introduction. Witches have always walked among us, populating societies and storyscapes across the globe for thousands of years. From Circe to Hermione, from Morgan Le Fay to Marie Laveau, the witch has long existed in the tales we tell about ladies with strange powers who can harm or heal. And although people of all genders have been considered witches, 
It's a word that is now usually associated with women. Throughout most of history, she has someone to fear, an uncanny other who threatens our safety or manipulates reality for her own mercurial purposes. She's a pariah, a persona non grata, a boogie woman to defeat and discard. Although she's often been deemed a destructive entity, in actuality, a witchy woman has historically been far more susceptible to attack than an inflictor of violence herself. As with other terrifying outsiders, she occupies a paradoxical role in cultural consciousness as both vicious aggressor and vulnerable prey. Over the past 150 years or so, however, the witch has done another magic trick by turning from a fright into a figure of inspiration. She is now as likely to be the heroine of your favorite TV show as she is its villain. She might show up in the form of your Wiccan co-worker or the beloved musician who gives off a sorcerous vibe in videos or on stage. There's also a chance that she is you and that witch is an identity you've taken upon yourself for any number of reasons, heartfelt or flippant, public or private. Today, more women than ever are choosing the way of the witch, whether literally or symbolically. They're floating down catwalks and sidewalks in gauzy black clothing and adorning themselves with Pinterest-worthy pentagrams and crystals. They're filling up movie theaters to watch witchy films and gathering in back rooms and backyards to do rituals, consult tarot cards, and set life-altering intentions. They're marching in the streets with Hex the Patriarchy placards and casting spells each month to try to constrain the commander-in-chief. Year after year, articles keep proclaiming it's the season of the witch as journalists try to wrap their heads around the mushrooming witch trend. And all of this begs the question, why? Why do witches matter? Why are they seemingly everywhere right now? What exactly are they? And why the hell won't they go away? I get asked such things over and over, and you would think that after a lifetime of studying and writing about witches, as well as hosting a witch-themed podcast and being a practitioner of witchcraft myself, my answers would be succinct. In fact, I find that the more I work with the witch, the more complex she becomes. Hers is a slippery spirit. Try to pin her down and she'll only recede further into the dark, deep wood. I do know this for sure, though. Show me your witches and I'll show you your feelings about women. The fact that the resurgence of feminism and the popularity of the witch are ascending at the same time is no coincidence. The two are reflections of each other. That said, this current witch wave is nothing new. I was a teen in the 1990s, the decade that brought us such pop culture as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Charmed, and The Craft. Not to mention riot girls and third wave feminists who taught me that female power could come in a variety of colors and sexualities. I learned that women could lead a revolution while wearing lipstick and combat boots, and sometimes even a cloak. But my own witchly awakening came at an even earlier age. Morganville, New Jersey, where I was raised, was a solidly suburban town, but it, it retained enough natural land features back then to still feel a little bit scruffy in spots. We had a small patch of woods in our backyard that abutted a horse farm, and the two were separated by a wisp of running water that we could cross via a plank of wood. When we were little, my older sister Emily and I would sometimes venture to the other side where we could feed the horses, an act that still scares me to this day, and pick fistfuls of clover. But the majority of our time was spent on our side of the stream, threading ourselves through the thicket of trees that served as our personal forest. In one corner of the yard, a giant puddle would form whenever it rained, surrounded by a border of ferns. We called this spot our magical place that it would vanish and then reappear only added to its mystery. It was a portal to the unknown. These woods are where I first remember doing magic, entering that state of deep play where imaginative action becomes reality. I would spend hours out there creating rituals with rocks and sticks, drawing secret symbols in the dirt, losing all track of time. It was a space that felt holy and wild, yet still strangely safe. As we age, we're supposed to stop filling our heads with such nonsense. Unicorns are to be traded in for Barbie dolls, though both are mythical creatures to be sure. We lose our tooth fairies, walk away from our wizards. Dragons get slain on the altar of our youth. Most kids grow out of their magic phase. I grew further into mine. 
My grandma Trudy was a librarian at the West Long Branch Library, which meant I got to spend many a long afternoon lurking between the 001.9 and 135 Dewey Decimal sections, reading about Bigfoot and dream interpretation in Nostradamus. Waking the Witch by Pam Grossman. Angie in Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, Angie, what's on your mind today? Hi, yeah, I just want to talk about the giving away the clean noodles and stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, my ex-husband used to do heroin, apparently. I didn't realize it until, like, two years after I was already married to him. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I would rather have clean needles being passed around, being the person that's not doing the drugs. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Did he I end up with Hep C or something? No, he didn't have anything. Oh, I mean, not while I was married, but I was just lucky. So I'm just saying, I yeah. mean, just speaking from the other half of the person, I was just very lucky. I mean, it's a needle in a haystack kind of thing. Yeah. Luck. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention that because the Republicans need to think kind of about the other person, too, not just the people that are doing the drugs. Yeah, I, and that was my point, Angie, and I think you, you, you really put a bow on it. I thank you very much. I, I, I appreciate the call. It's spot on. MJ in Seattle. Hey, MJ, what's up? Hey, I'm the last glad minute. to talk to you today. I really enjoyed when you talked about the goddess and the alphabet, and I wanted to turn you on to Ian McGilchrist, I-A-I-N, and it's M-C-G-I-L and then Christ. Okay. And he is a scientist who, in his previous career, was teaching poetry at Oxford, and he just got really tired of taking art out of art because your brain on the right side is the master. And we've thought of it as a side issue. So getting your left and right brain in balance is gonna save the world if we can do it. Yeah, and that's what a lot of bilateral therapies are based on. I wrote a book about that called Walking Your Blues Away. I think you'd find it fascinating. MJ, thank you. Ian, say it again. Miguel Christ. Okay, she, uh, MJ's been muted. Hey, special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer, Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick Hoyt, Geraldine Halbert, Ron Hartenbaugh, Chase Spross, and the folks who run our uh, chat room over on YouTube, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jabberwocky, Jay LeBlanc, Connor Arroyo, and Carter Verdi. Thank you to you all. And thank you for, for listening and watching our program. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you on Monday. Take care. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.